Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Welcome back to part two of this incredible episode. You're about to meet our amazing special guests and listen out for the moment when the venue staff deliver them gin and tonics live on stage. Our first guest today is a columnist for the Irish Examiner and author and a collector of stories currently working with the Lord Mayor of Dublin on a book to honour overlooked Dublin women. Please welcome Clodagh Finn! She is... Clodagh, please welcome. Come and take a seat. She is joined by that very same, no different... Lord Mayor of Dublin! There's a a thrill of excitement. Who, as well as advocating on behalf of constituents, believes in supporting and empowering them to realise their own active participation in their communities? Please welcome the Lord Mayor of Dublin, Alison Gilliland! You should be upstanding. She's wearing very gold jewellery. Thank you. Thank you. I feel, Alison, when any... That's your mic. And I feel, Alison, we tend to use these bottles on stage because we want to pretend that we've never seen plastic. Just don't... We are people photographing that. What was that? What were those things? That we I don't know. Said? I don't recognise them. I've never seen them is. before. I've never seen them before Yeah, exactly. Um, Wild. <laughs> before we start, yes. I have an admission. Oh! Cloda, speak on. I am from Tralee. <laughs> I have spent my entire life cheering on the roses. What? Oh, my good lord. Yes, a lesbian rose one, one year. Yes, Marie Walsh. Yes, we have trans women. And also, truly, for 364 days of the year, is totally forgotten. (laughs) For one day every year, Millions of people tune in to wow. watch the Rose of Trilly. Wow. And we're very clever in Trilly because we really don't care about the context. Oh. It, it makes it. us money. Oh. <laughs> it's brilliant. So it puts you on the map and ka-ching, ka-ching, ching. You milk those pretty ladies. <laughs> but not, not literally, because that would be weird. No, no, yeah. not literally. Okay. Of course you can't milk them literally. They're unmarried and therefore could not be lactating because each and every one is a virgin. Indeed. I just want to say that you are my rose of Trillium. Oh, wow. How lovely. Were you ever tempted to enter? Never. (laughs) Uh, 
did your mother ever say you'd be never. a lovely... Never. Ro- no. Never. <laughs> did she specifically say you won't win? No, she didn't in fairness. She just zipped it. She just... Uh, when yeah. the subject came up, of, oh, those roses are coming to yeah, Chile again. Yeah. Everyone just went very silent. And they someone did. said, shall I put the exactly kettle on? <laughs> yes. Listen, I'm sure you would have been a contender. <laughs> Um, however, I'm glad that that wasn't your life's mission. mission. No. Yeah. Because uh, I'd hate to think of you having to give the car back. I, that's it. Six I months mean, first I heard of it. Scandalous. Yeah, that's true. Alison Spittle explained it to me in great detail. And here, speaking of Alison Spittle being More absent, Alison. we have a replacement Alison in the form. Not as good, though. Definitely not as good. No, much, no, 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 no. Much cooler job, I think. Well, I mean... Alison does wear fantastic jewellery and headpieces and things, but you know she's always like big, beautiful, colourful necklaces and flowers in her hair. Right. But what it's she's the one thing I have. don't have to worry about when I go in out is what I'm going to wear in yes. the nice jewellery. Yeah. Because if you're listening at home, uh, how do we describe this? Uh, if you have a Lord Mayor where you are, or you've seen a Lord Mayor, you might have seen them wearing an enormous piece of gold jewellery that says, "Hey, I'm important." Now, That's is good. this the real gold? What is it? What is it called? Is it called a? It's called the Lord Mayor's chain. And the Lord Mayor's chain. actually real gold, it's but so it's the replica sick. of the original. Oh, it's, it's real gold, but a replica of... Yeah. Where's the original? The original. Do you, did you lose it? I no, no, no. no. Oh <laughs> I went for a big night out. It it's was the Rose of Tralee. We had a few. I came back and said, guys, I think we might need a replica. Oh, no. Um, what, what it's happened? in the safe in my office. No, that's what oh, you say. Brilliant. No, we need, we're going to need proof. We're going to need proof, brilliant. Lord Mayor. It's so cool. Is it cold? Like, I don't know. I don't wear, like, necklaces and stuff because I don't want my neck to be cold <laughs> even for a short time. Oh, cold. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it, is it chilly? Can it be no, if you no, wore it? No, it was quite warm now. Maybe that's the lights. Yeah. But, but you came in really backstage. Do you, wear, do you have to wear it all the time? I wear it when I'm on official duty. When you were on Zoom during the pandemic, did you pop it on in the morning? Just Because what I would do is if I was on doing Zoom, even though I was at home, I was like, no, dress up. You'll feel more like your role. So if I was doing a bit of comedy on Zoom, I'd sort of, you know, I'd dress up like this just to make myself feel good. Did you ever pop that on while in your pyjamas, just doing a bit of emailing? Did you ever think, oh, I don't really feel like the Lord Mayor today. I'll pop on the chain. It's like popping on the cape, isn't it? It's like popping on the cape. And then you're there. Yes. Did you ever just pop so it on? Brilliant. No. Wow, wow. I mean, she respects I th- it too much. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Wow. So if it's an official engagement, like tonight, you pop on the chain and you come out yeah. and you say, so this is me and Lord, Lord Mayor Rod. Ro- wow. yeah. What do we call But if it's you? an ordinary meeting, I don't. Yeah. An ordinary meeting, you just turn up down to earth as you like. Yeah. Hey, I'm chill. No, don't worry. No I'm tiaras. Just Lord yeah. Mayor. As somebody said to me today, you snuck in there. Because I had sneakers on me and oh. I was dressed a little bit different. Mm, mm. So you had sneakers. So you can't. That's what I had to walk to the meeting. Oh, but so you just. I normally have the car, but because it's like unofficial Lord Mayor duties, I don't get the car. If that's gold. Mm. That's got to be heavy. That's what I wanted to know. You yeah. get sort of used to it. Uh, it's not as heavy as an Olympic gold medal. Because okay. I'm what? I, 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 no. Do you have one of those as well? No. <laughs> What an impressive woman. No, 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 no. I met one of our Olympic gold medalists this summer, Kelly Harrington. Amazing, isn't she? So we we were comparing. Comparing notes. Brilliant. That's a phenomenal story. I think she had to work harder for hers than I did for this. Um, How how should we address you, Lord Mayor Alison Gilliland? 
Well, that's the official way, but you can just call me Alison for tonight. Whoa. <laughs> I, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to ask a few questions that begin Lord Mayor, because I just think it's fun. I'm going to say, I'm my lord. <laughs> Are you looking at Alison like she's Mayor Quimby from The Simpsons? My lord. I just feel like I should bow a little bit. This is exciting. This is a huge moment for the community. And by the community, I mean me. <laughs> so, you're working together. Mm. Um, can I first ask you, as the Lord Mayor, I read about you and I heard that uh, you said that when you became Lord Mayor that one of your priorities for your term of office was to increase the visibility and promotion of women. Um, not to be all Jeremy Paxman to you, but have you done that? <laughs> I, I am doing that, and I will mm. continue to do that. And mm. I think by, by being a woman, you're already making the role of Lord Mayor visible. There's been 353 Lord Mayors, and I'm the 10th female. Wow. <laughs> 353? So how long has this been going on? 353 years. <laughs> oh, so it's a year post. So I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. I mean, it could have been, you know. You're, you're elected like every year. Six yeah. months like the car. <laughs> <laughs> and then you could stay on after that, but we have to lease you. Go no, I thought you could be Lord Mayor for like five years or something. And I thought 353. How many of there have been? Yeah, we don't have a directly elected Lord Mayor. Well, not yet. Yes. So every year your colleagues on the council elect a new Lord Mayor. Now, you could be elected oh. again and again and again, but mm. at the moment, because we're in a political coalition, there's a different person from a different party elected every year. Mm. I see. But the first female Lord Mayor was in 1939, so you could say we've had 10 females in the last 80 years, 80-something years. Okay. Wow. So you got in early and then just went, no, it didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> we had, we've had a woman one. There's no need for another woman one. Well, I suppose one of the big challenges is trying to get women elected onto the council. At the moment, we're doing quite well. There is uh, 40% on Dublin City Council, but there's oh, some nice. councils around the country where there might be only one female. So it, it's getting into that room first is the first challenge. So once you're on the council, then you can be put forward to be Then you Lord can Mayor. be put forward, yeah. Okay. And do you have to nominate yourself or does someone nominate you? Or I nominated myself. There were two others from my political group that nominated themselves as well. So we had an internal election, which thankfully I won. And then the coalition put you forward as the candidate for the coalition group. And this time, no one else put themselves forward. So the entire council supported me, which was fabulous. Excellent. That's so good. I have a pitch, yeah? It's like the Rose of Truly, except <laughs> instead of a, like being like a beauty pageant, everyone finds a like very politically engaged woman from their council, and they <laughs> and they nominate her. <laughs> I think that's what happens, actually. It, it, so this is this is basically the Rose of Lord Mayor, <laughs> but you don't have to do a tap dance. Thank goodness, no. Excellent news, excellent so news. So good. Um, Not my 40. Okay, so how much power does the Lord Mayor have? Oh, in local authority politics, very little, because our local authorities, unlike other European countries, don't give um, their Lord Mayors or their actual their councils a huge amount of autonomy or capacity or funding. A lot of it comes mm. from central government. 
so we have to abide by national legislation. But we do have a significant, I suppose, power of influence. Oh, I thought they were cheering something Thank that you. was... They were like, yes, I government, thought, power, I thought, influence. I thought, I thought... Thank you so it, much. Do you know what? It slightly depressed me. The that you Rose of the Vicar. Yeah, Vicar Street, Vicar Street. Rose of Vicar Street. I don't think you can point to women in service roles and say the Rose of Vicar Street. <laughs> I the think, Rose of Vicar no, Street. No, you cannot, Kima, because feminism. I'm trying to get cancelled. <laughs> you are doing a good job. Thank you. So, yeah, when you were explaining that, I was thinking, God, I always think this audience of Vicar Street is the best audience in the world, and I do say that. I always think, I always think, and what I say is they know how to bring a rock concert to a podcast recording. <laughs> but when you were describing sort of, it was sort of like uh, procedural stuff and they started going, woo, woo. I was like, oh, it's not me that's good. It's just the room is so, <laughs> the, the bar is, what? I was like, I was disappointed. So and well, then I realized feminists, that they were so cheering. Interested. They were cheering yeah. for the gin and tonic then. I was like, oh, okay. Okay. Um, Okay, in terms of the power that you have to change things, um, where would you rate it? You know, wh- how, how much power do you think you've got? I work very well with our council, with our management. Uh, I'm very collaborative, and I think that's a great way of getting things done. So mm. I give myself and the position about 7 out of 10 in that regard. Mm. And I, I oh have God, to she's admit- humble. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard good things. One thing I heard that you've done, because I think our mayor, Sadiq Khan in London, actually does things. I know so he actually you, does I things. I ran into him in the tube one time, and I was like, this is a petite man. <laughs> <laughs> Why have you said it like you wanted to eat him? <laughs> it looked like a little petite treat. What? He's handsome. Sue me. Do you fancy Sadiq Khan? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I think he's quite attractive as well. I do. He's very politically engaged. He often says the right thing, and I like him. <laughs> Who do you guys think is the hottest man? <laughs> <laughs> so we not, uh, <laughs> we, the mayor of Trilly. Now, we... But do you, are you more like... Because I think Sadiq Khan has about... Then, there's, then we have a Lord Mayor... And I don't think our Lord Mayor does... I, sorry, just, no disrespect if you're listening, Lord Mayor of London, but I don't know your name. And I don't... Keefney, he was over here last week. Was he? Yeah. Do you get together? Do the, mayor, the Lord Mayor have tea? He's got Irish heritage. Oh, lovely. So uh, he wrote... I congratulated him, sent him a letter of congratulations when he got elected, and mm. then he got in contact with the office that he was planning to visit. So we hosted him for lunch. Oh, I'm, del- so cool. I'm delighted to hear the Lord Mayors are getting together and comparing their chains. <laughs> but I've heard, I don't, I don't, listen, I'm sure Vincent is great, but I haven't heard of him doing a lot of feminist stuff. He probably is that I just don't know about. But I've heard that you started a festival called the Bridget Festival, which I immediately assumed was named after Bridget Christie, the feminist comedian, who is, of course, uh, uh, has Irish parents. What is the Bridget Festival? We, St. Bridget's Day is on the 1st of February in Ireland. Oh, got some Bridget's oh, out there. Alison Spitter, we're here to tell me about the Bridget Festival. She's but not, but we, we have you. But way before Bridget, the saint, was the goddess Bridget. With the tea. And she was really fiery and feisty, and she was the goddess of 
art, culture, fertility, and women. She's busy. She's busy. A big portfolio. So in, in, in Ireland, we have a day called Culture Day that happens in September, and it's about a free program of activities across the entire country where people can come out and just celebrate and be part of culture. So I took that idea... And I worked with Dublin City Council and sort of pitched them the idea, the elevator pitch, that this would be on the 1st of February, Bridget 2022, Dublin City celebrating women. Ah. Not St. Bridget, but all women. And the idea would be that we would celebrate women of the past, inspire women of the present, through art, culture, debate, discussion, street art, walking tours, all of that. And it was all going to be free to anyone who um, would like to participate. And the icing on the cake was a fantastic concert in the round room. And your guest later on was one of the singers. She is amazing. <laughs> okay. Can um, I say something here? I'd love you Please. to tell us. Yeah, I want to say she was... St. Bridget, I must tell you, had a cape. Mm. A very famous cape. <laughs> what? I cape did not know this, yeah. but I felt like somewhere inside of me... That, yeah. My biological father, I've never met him, he has an Irish name. Her cape was a magic cape. And when she washed a, it... A coincidence. She used to put it on a sunbeam to dry. <gasps> I love that. Anyway, and I wanted to say, actually, Alison was like a woman with the cape because the Lord Mayor's uh, tenure is only a year long. And out of COVID, she turned that festival around like magic. Wow. She really wow. did. So kudos there. But St. Bridget's cake, yeah. St. Bridget was an early Irish saint, and she wanted to build her community convent, but she had no land. So she went to the Bishop of Kildare, and she said, will you give me the land that my cape covers, right? Mm. I will, of course. No bother. (laughs) So she puts the cape on the ground, and four of her nuns grab each corner of the cape and they run to the four winds and they cover nearly the county of Kildare and the bishop is going, oh, crap. <laughs> this, is a, this is an extremely Irish story, if you don't mind me saying <laughs> Land-grasping Irish. Yes. The, no, it's the, not the that there are nuns, nuns <laughs> yeah. covering a county. All of the words are very Irish, is what I'm saying. That's so great. Oh, my gosh. And I love, I love that, um, that admiration and recognition. So, like, how did, yeah. how did you guys meet? Like, on Twitter. It? Yeah. Yeah. You nice. met on Twitter. Well, yeah. as is the Irish tradition, the ancient Irish tradition. Absolutely. <laughs> we did. And it's kind of a long story, but it actually is very much about why we're here to talk about because... Um, I was writing a piece about a deleted tweet. And at the time, there was a political controversy going on about deleted texts between politicians. Mm. But Alison had been to see our provost. <laughs> They're like, we remember. Unrest, unrest. From the noise they made, it's something like Partygate. But continue. Yeah, exactly. It is actually a Partygate story. But anyway. Ooh, ooh, I thought uh, it would be more sensual, but... <laughs> <laughs> Deleted Alison, text. who is the 10th female mayor in 353, was invited by the provost of Trinity, who is the first female provost in how many years? 400 and 400. something? The wow. first. In first. first female. Wow. wow. So 
the provost had invited the um, president, president of France, our own lovely Taoiseach. Can you say that word? Taoiseach. Taoiseach. Prime Minister. Prime Minister. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yes. Yes, I can say it. They tweeted it. And they never named the women. Oops. There's no need for women to be having names as well as jobs. I know. It's just, it's like, it's grasp. At some point, it gets greedy. Yeah, Yeah. So that's how we met. We said we can't be greedy, but you know, well, we want women to be visible and have names. Yeah, be ready. It's a lot to ask. I mean, I love your aspiration. I love your aspiration. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Um, Can you tell me about your book, Clodagh? Well, it was actually, I I will ask Alison because it was Alison's idea and it's a great idea. Yeah. As, as Lord Mayor of Dublin, you can award the freedom of the city to individuals who have really contributed to the freedom life of the city. What is freedom of the city? <laughs> Do you not have freedom of the this city in America? This sounds exciting. It, it, it actually you don't have means of that. Anything. Well, th- there's two advantages to it. One, you can graze your sheep in Stephen's green. Great, I will do. Please give and, me the right. And the other, to do that. if the city's in trouble, you ha- you help the Lord Mayor defend it. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. Like crime fighting. Yeah. This sounds right up your street. And, and what, what, what would Kima have to do to get freedom of the city? Yeah, this sounds very hip. I, I think if you just keep on doing what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> Stay on this path. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Deborah, Stay on watch this path. out. So yeah, we, we've had 84 freedoms of the city awarded, and uh, there's a little bit of a gender imbalance. Guess in them. how many women? I'm going to go with half, because that would be fair. Try again. Try again. What do you um, say? Oh, For, of course, 40. I was forgetting non-binary people. So, yeah, I, I, that was, that's an oversight. So it would be... It, I would say, like, there'd be over half female and non-binary people. So probably I'm going to go with 60, mm-hmm. 60 to 70%. Four. Oy. Out of how many? 84. Oy. I mean, I'm from Britain. That sounds quite good. <laughs> It sounds very progressive. So So I I thought that I would um, sort of rebalance things. Yeah. And that I could stand down standing orders, because we have all these standing orders and protocols, and nominate 80 females, and particularly match 
the years that females that hadn't been nominated hadn't awarded, yeah. but uh, I was told they all have to be living. Oh. So I said, okay, right, how can, how can I, I still want to do this, I still want to recognise all those women back oh, in the 1800s. should 1800s. have had it. should have had it. But exactly. they were just edited out because they were women. Exactly. So you wanted to do a retrospective. The lens was different. Yeah, I wanted to do something retrospective. So I had this idea, well, let's put them all in a book. Brilliant. And what better woman to write that book than this amazing author who yes. every day highlights at least, if not more, women on her Twitter feed. Okay, mm. so let's talk about some of those women. I'm excited. Yeah. Have you got a favourite one you'd like to tell us about? One of them uh, I love is Maureen O'Carroll. And mm. you will know her son, Brendan O'Carroll. Um, he's the fantastic comedian, of course. And actually... In hearing his comedy, she comes through because he says that she inspired him. And she was a social activist, she was a Labour TD, and she was the first whip, party whip. Mm. We needn't go into what a party, yes, party whip mm. in the Labour Party. And um, she was a character, I'm sorry I didn't meet her, but just to give you an idea of the type of things she would say, she would say, um, when asked, you know, if she thought... Um, she admired women who said that they could be as good as men in public life. She said, I'd say they lack ambition, actually, you know. Mm, yeah. And, you know, she was great in that she, um, she, she should be here today because she formed the Low Price Commission um, just after the war. And she fought people who didn't have a voice. Um, another thing that's very much current at the moment, she, um, children who were born in mother and babies' homes, who were born outside of marriage, were called illegitimate or bastards, actually, on their birth certs. Mm. Oh, are you too? Mm. Yes. Oh. I was, my birth mother had to go to an unmarried mother's home and uh, give birth... Here? B- there? No, no mm. it happens outside Ireland as well. Um, <laughs> Australia, Australia... She had to give birth for th- uh, three days she was in labour behind a sheet. Um, and, uh, and I never got to pop through that curtain and say hi. And I wonder why I'm a show business. Um, <laughs> I love me. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, I was, I, she was in an unmarried mother's home. Um, I mean, it was probably, to be honest, I think it was on the Irish model, so feel proud. But uh, <laughs> it was actually was in Ireland. The diaspora. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and as I said, my birth father has a, a, a an Irish name, so mm. I've always felt very. Did you much... find them, or did you look? I for found them? my biological mother. They uh, they were from Devon and London, Orig- originally they're Australian, um, and yeah, no, I'm very much in their family. But the biological father's side I haven't found yet, and so I'm going to do 23 and Me and uh, ancestry, you know, yeah. all of yeah. the genetic things to try we'll and. But he doesn't know that she got pregnant, so... That's going to be fun. Well, if he's still alive... The only thing is he was married to someone else. If he's still married to that someone else... That's going to be extra fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to cast a big old shadow over the whole marriage. So I, I say show up on Christmas Day. <laughs> you, you, um... I'm here for the chaos, I'm here for the drama. <laughs> What's up, Papa? I got you a gift. It's me. <laughs> And he'd be proud of you in your cape. Mm-hmm. He, I'm not sure. 
I'm not sure I should turn up in the cape on Christmas Day. No, I feel do like it. I might set the wrong time. No, I'd be like, I'm well adjusted. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing about this has fucked me up. It's going great. Um, anyway, wow, I'm, wow, I'm, wow. I'm not in this book. Wait, wait, Who so else is she, in this book? Wait, so what did she do with the mother and baby's homes? What? What does she do? Maureen O'Carroll, um, she took the word illegitimate out of the birth certificate. So oh, children brilliant. were no longer illegitimate. illegitimate. Yeah, because that's just so rude. It is rude. I feel and like a legitimate person. I'm a legitimate person. And uh, were you also born in my, in my mother's home? Yes, I was. Yeah. Wow. We're yeah. like sisters. Sisters. Yeah. And but was yours a really awful one, like a laundry or something? No, it wasn't actually. Um, although it was in the commission, we've had a recent commission and it, it, un, it uncovered terrible things and very high death rates of oh, babies no. mm. and awful treatment of mothers. And in fact, this book, there's a section in this book that will reclaim the lives of those mothers and those, those children one of the women in it is a woman called Christine Buckley, who spent time in Golden Bridge Orphanage. And actually, she was the first woman, and actually, she was Irish-Nigerian. So mm. she was a really Irish oh, great. black woman. Great. And she spoke up for all those people who had no voices. And a lovely story about her, actually. I actually worked with her husband. He told me a thing. He said she could see the diamond in the rough. And she would pick out whatever characteristics somebody had and encourage them. And her own son was dyslexic at a time when you were considered stupid in school. And she fought for him, you know. And she just kind of got acceptance for her dyslexic son, for herself. And she set up a centre and encouraged people through the arts Amazing woman. She is also in there. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, all right, all right. Sounds good, but what about the gays? Oh, so <laughs> many. So many. Alison, you were saying that yes. so many of the revolutionary women were gay. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Amazing amounts. This is yeah. always the case. Like, loads of suffragettes yep. were gay, loads mm. of the critical women were gay. Is it just you think lesbians are angry and then because of... No, because of the way the world has treated them. If you're already at a margin, you're like ready to fight. You have the gloves on. So then you see like a revolution. You're like, ah, that's for me. Perfect. I'm ready. I've got my gloves on. I've got my anger hyped. Uh, And I want to do something about it. Yeah. And if if there's a revolution available, you're like, I got to get this anger out. Let's make some change. And right up to modern times, one of your favourite women is Gemma Redmond. Yeah, Yeah, she was an amazing woman. She was the first ever person to create a 3D printer, a bioprinter. Not what I thought you were going to say. No. (laughs) I was thinking revolution. I was thinking, I was imagining her with a gun and a sash. I know, wait, wait, wait. Did did not see this coming at all. She made hand grenades in the 3D printer. No, no, no. Better. Human cells... And kept them alive. What? Human cells. Human cells and kept them alive. And her vision was that one day we would arrive at a situation where we could 3D print hearts and kidneys and lungs for transplant. Oh, I thought you would. So you wouldn't have to have those lists and you wouldn't have to wait for people Uh, to to die to have your transplant. Yeah. Uh, And she was intersex. And she couldn't have children, so 
one of her personal reasons for doing this was to, her hope was to 3D print a uterus. Wow. What a legend. And she died really, really young. Yeah. She was born in 1978 oh. and she died, I think it was 2016. That's right. Wow. She, yeah. And wow. she couldn't get funding for this project. I think she of went to China. And let me tell you a story about China, just to interject. She went to China for four months and made this very brilliant machine. And she brought it through the airport to show in San Francisco. And she was very tired, and she was, she was up here, and she was standing in front of the machine. And, oops, the machine, she, she pushed against the table. Oh, no. The machine crashed <gasps> to the floor. Shit. There was silence. This is to give you the idea of the type of woman she was. She kicked it under the table and said... We'll make a better one. And she went back to Cork and did make a better one. Oh. What a legend. Oh, my gosh. She's a lady from Tala. Wow. Wow. So this sounds like an extremely intersectional uh, book. because, and, it, and as always is the way, as I say, you know, often people on the margins are kind of forced into positions where... They see things differently because of power structures or they have an anger and a drive to change things. And I think we often center people of the dominant group. But then it sounds like your book has... And often also those people are written out of history as well and we just don't know who they are and there are many more. Um, but I loved that um, there was a deaf playwright yeah. in your book as well. Yeah. Could you tell us about her? Has anybody heard of Teresa Devi? Yeah. woo Nice. Yeah. Got some thespians in the room? <laughs> there you go. Teresa Devi should be as well known as Singh or Lady Gregory. These are the early um, playwrights who wrote plays for the, the Abbey Theatre. And Teresa was a woman from Waterford, but she moved to, yeah, she moved to Dublin to become a teacher. And um, she went deaf from Menier's disease. So she, she went to London and learned to lip read by going to the theatre and resolved to be a dramatist. And when she came back, she actually was very involved <coughs> excuse me, with the literary life of um, Dublin. And she wrote incredibly feminist plays in the 1930s. She wrote kind of around in the 1930s, six of her plays were staged in as many years. And they told the stories of women who, due to social conventions, were hemmed in and how uh, they tried to break out of it. And then a conservative artistic director took over, and that was the end of it. In the Abbey. Which was she it a man? It was, of course. <laughs> just checking in, just checking in. Ernest Blythe. I heard about one of them Ernest Blythe. Yeah, mm. wouldn't you know? Ah, so, the importance of being... Yes, Blythe. Mm. But she continued to write plays for the radio, which I thought was, you know, amazing. She wrote these plays and couldn't hear them. And she wrote for RTE and she wrote for BBC. And she was a great character. I want to give you one vignette. Um, she, had, she lived in um, Waterloo Road in Dublin. And she'd come out of her flat and she'd pick up her high nanny from the grass. And they'd see her cycling in to, to meet the boys and Bewley's, but she'd have a hanger, clothes hanger still hanging out of her coat wow. in the back, you know. Oblivious, you know. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Great. Well, um, girl. And the one, one woman I wanted to ask uh, you about, Alison, is when I was at university, I had to do a dissertation on Oscar Wilde, and well, I chose to do a dissertation on Oscar Wilde, and I had a very, very brilliant uh, uh, don called Sos, Dr. Sos Eltas, 
And she had written a book about Oscar Wilde's hidden feminism, socialism, because of the way he'd been raised by his mother, uh, who, who was a poet who went by the name of Speranza. Speranza. Uh, but she, her regular name was Jane Wilde, is that right? Yeah, she's amazing. And his, if you look in Oscar Wilde's plays, and I don't mean to come to Ireland to tell you about Oscar Wilde, just to be clear. <laughs> so just let me Brit... Ozzy explained to you. Um, but it was fascinating for me because most people I talk to about this, they don't know, um, that Oscar Wilde was the first playwright to get ideas past the censors because in Britain, the Lord Chamberlain, not to be confused with the Lord Mayor, uh, mm. would censor everything. So they would have to see, well, is this got any... There's no mockery of the royal family, for example, or mm. there's no immorality in this. They don't deserve to be mocked. Just uh, doing pedophilia, they don't deserve <laughs> to be mocked. Uh, don't mock them! Um, until the late 60s, this went on, that things had to be censored. And so George Bernard Shaw and Oscar Wilde would write to each other... Um, and there, were, there are letters that say this, because George Bernard Shaw's plays, he was obviously a socialist as well, and um, I mean, I know that he's very problematic in other ways, but he did try very hard to get these socialist ideas across, and if you watch, like, Pygmalion, for example, it's, a, it's got some very socialist values in it and feminist values in it, but his plays would almost always get banned um, because he would write what he felt, whereas Oscar Wilde said, if you hide it in a comedy of manners, the censor doesn't notice, they're like, yeah, jokes, posh people in ballrooms and things like that, and what he would write is about a fallen woman who would end up triumphant and not in the gutter. And that was unique in Victorian times. But the censors would not really notice because it was full of jokes. Whereas mm. George Bernard Shaw's would always get banned because it was like a drama. And he was like, no, 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 this is how you slide it in. And it was because of the way his mother brought him up. And she was a feminist. And she was a socialist. And so he, all of his wittery, and we, you know, of course he's the famous one because he's the man. And his mother was the one that put that in him and also would have these salons as he was growing up. So could you tell me anything more about his mother? Yeah, his, his mother, as you say, ha had those salons and she wrote herself. She was an amazing writer and a lot of that socialism and that feminism came out in her writing. But of course, back in the day, she wasn't recognised in the same way that we would recognise great feminists today and it was only earlier last year that we put a plaque up where she used to live on Marion Square to commemorate her to actually recognize mm. that this is the house that Speranza Jane Wilde mm. lived in and it it looks out over the sculpture of her son in the corner of Marion's uh, Park. Wonderful. So it's, it's lovely there's a lovely connection there I but it took us this. like there, there were people asking us we never knew about that. We never knew about her. So it, it, it's only, and I suppose the book that we're doing is trying to bring those women out of the shadows and give them a voice and give them visibility because in their day, they never had it. Yes. And I think when we start, I'm sure everybody here, when you're doing your history or even in your, your, your English literature, it's all about the, the men like Alexander Graham Bell and, and the telephone. There's, there's never Gemma Redmond on the 3D printer. Mm. So it, it's about showcasing women and their amazing achievements and contribution oh. to society. We are all super excited about this book. Hello, Guilty Feminists. This is Deborah. I'm just quickly interrupting the podcast with a few things you might be interested in. 
Our tour shows have been incredible. We've just loved being with you. And we've been to various parts of the UK. And next we're coming to Liverpool, Sheffield and Stratford with Sophie Duker, Jessica Foster Q, Celia Ray B and Jess Robinson. This Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And then we're bound to be coming to a UK venue near you soon. So check out those dates at guiltyfeminist.com. Can I let you know that my stand-up show which is called The Guilty Feminist Stands Up, and it's about coming out as bisexual and going in with psychedelics, is at the Soho Theatre in London from the 26th of April to the 7th of May. Tickets are going fast. Then we're off to Australia and New Zealand in July. Get tickets for those too, all at guiltyfeminist.com. Big Speeches to Up Your Confidence is a workshop you can do online with Jessica Regan on the 24th of April, the 29th of May or the 26th of June. Join our Patreon to get ad-free episodes and regular monthly Zoom hangouts. For all the details, go to guiltyfeminist.com. And now back to the podcast. Could you please uh, put your hands together and make incredible woohooing noises for Tolu Mackey? <laughs> A popular choice. Okay, uh, Tolly, what are you going to sing for us? Um, I was going to sing a depressing song, but I'm going to sing You Are Enough. Lovely. Oh, like, we want an uplifting song. We love this. Yeah, don't make me cry. I'll, yeah. I can do it for myself. No, I want you guys like roaring and screaming. You Are Enough is a song for that. Oh, okay, brilliant. You Are Enough. Tolu and Lewis, take it away. Okay. Ready? To get up in the morning time This nine to five, you know, in your life Feeding someone's dreams, which is on the side I get it, I understand it Weight on your shoulder, got you on your knees Air's getting thinner, but it's hard to breathe It's no surprise that you lasted this long All because you are enough You are enough Love yourself more You are enough you are enough, you are enough, love yourself more. Maybe you should notice that it's you in focus. We ain't all perfect. It's gonna take some practice. Maybe you should notice that it's you in focus. You are enough. You are enough. Love yourself more. You are enough. You 
help me. Somebody help me say, you are enough, you are enough. What? Say you are enough, you are enough. What? You are enough, you are enough. A little louder say you are enough, you are enough. What? You are enough, you are enough. Say you are enough, you are enough. Say you are enough, you are enough. You are enough, you are enough. Love your Absolutely incredible. Oh. I could do a whole night of that. Oh I want to start doing things like Jules Holland's Later, well, but, uh, but only guilty oh. feminist whatever time we want. Uh, uh, well. Would you come for that if we did like a feminist music night? Chill. Just, we need to do that at Vicar Street. We just need to get a bunch of feminist acts on. Chill. And then I chat, to them in I chat to them in between, but I don't play the piano because I'm not Jules Holland. So but I do a bit of comedy. And then we just have like that all night would be amazing. Support the movement. It was so wonderful. Just really wonderful. I just wish we had more time for wow. more things. Can I? I know. It's so sad. Um, but I guess the positive is now you're all addicted to her music and it's available online now. Yes. Tolu, Tolu's music is available on. I think these guys know who she is because she's very famous. Tolu, are you there? How would you like us to download your music so we pay for it rather than just get it for free? Well, or or you get like a penny way. from Spotify every time somebody downloads it a hundred times or something? Like, is there a good way? Bandcamp or something? What's the way? Do you buy something? Anyone Someone know? told me um, that when you... Bandcamp. Bandcamp is the best. If everyone who... We would allow you to get your phones out to do two things... One is buy this book, and the other is download uh, an album of Tolu's from Bandcamp so that you actually pay her. Um, what's the name of the book? Her Keys to the City. Her Keys, keys to the her City. City. Her to Keys to the City. City. Out in June. Yeah. It's out in June. Oh, so you have to pre-order it. Where would you like us to pre-order it? It's not up yet. But we will keep okay. you posted. So Her Keys to the City, so you have to watch out for it. Uh, and it'll be on our social media. It'll be on your social media. I How do we follow you? Every day about a woman from history, an Irish woman. Oh, from so history. we need to follow you. Yeah, it's at Finn, at Finn Cloda. I would and also how do follow. You, sorry, sorry, for people who don't have an oh, Ireland, right. how do you spell that? 
F-I-N-N, like the fin of a fish with an extra N. And then Cloda is C-L-O-D-A-G-H. That's the Irish bit. Yes, that is... You don't... Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that's as Irish as four nuns spreading a cloak over a council. (laughs) Spread that cloak, girls. Spread Um, that cloak. And follow the mayor because she... Follow the Lord Mayor. She... She also um, recently unveiled another plaque to another lady who will be in the book, Anna Parnell. So if you are in O'Connell Street, look out for it. And you so, the bank. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Anna Parnell was always known as the sister uh, of uh, Robert Parnell. But she, in her own right, was absolutely amazing. She set up the Land League. And... It's, it's kind of ironic given the housing crisis that we have at the moment. But she helped people who were under eviction. And herself, and literally a team of women, did all that. And again, wasn't really recognized. And we, we took her out of the shadows. And there are a few great female historians that have written about her. And she was buried over in Jersey, I think it was. Yeah. It was in, one of the in, islands. Yeah. Yeah, and they had to go, and literally her grave was found forgotten in a, in, a, in a graveyard. So, you know, I suppose women of the time just didn't have that recognition. They weren't looked out. after, mm. edited out, forgotten. And she the more marginalised they are, the more likely they are to be yeah. edited out as well. She was known as the, the, the Joan of Arc of Ireland. She went around and gave speeches, and people thought she was great. And she actually did more for the Land League than Charles Stewart. Mm. Um, and then she was just forgotten. Wow. Um, they so the fell French out. are better yeah. at publicising yeah. their dead women. Yeah. That's what we've learned. Yeah. Um, if you, this is, this, we've got to get off the stage now so, we, so the good people of Vicar Street can go home because they're, they're very good to us. But can I just ask you this, Lord Mayor, if you had a magic wand, what would you change for the women in Dublin? Oh, I think if everybody had a magic wand today, we'd probably stop the war in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to say that. I can't, that can't go unsaid. <laughs> but for the, the women in Dublin, I think for all women everywhere, if I had a magic wand, I would use it, and I'm going to be a little bit depressing here, uh, to suppress that urge that men have to hurt women, to coercively control them, uh, to hit them, to abuse them. The the level of domestic abuse, sexual and gender-based violence is just off the scale at the moment. I think COVID, we all knew it was there. COVID really exposed it. So, you know, if we could just change men's behavior... I think that would resolve an awful lot of issues, particularly behind closed doors and I, that we and don't I, see. And I really yeah, want yeah. the vast majority of men who never hurt anybody to start having the conversations with the minority of men who do and, call and them think out. it's normal. Talk to your bullies. Because we just don't, you know... And, yeah. and, and you don't know who it might be you're talking to. So I'm not saying, ask your friend, have you ever done this? I'm saying, raise these conversations. Um, Given you don't have a magic wand, what are you going to do to make the changes happen in the real world? I think education is a big, uh, mm-hmm. has a big role to play, and that goes from like babies up. I think every, everybody has a role in role modeling it, language, behavior. I would hope by promoting women as achievers, as leaders, as strong, that men would stop seeing us and not see us as much as 
women that have to serve, women yeah. that are objects, uh, commodities, that they would see us as equals and treat us with respect. Uh, I've done a lot of work with our Assistant Guard Commissioner here in Dublin, who is a female, Anne-Marie Cagney, uh, to, I suppose, increase policing on the street, visible policing, because I know it does act as a deterrent, but it also makes people feel safe. We have a long way still to go. There's small We don't have that in London, because increased police on the street doesn't make us feel safe. Yeah. 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 Oh, especially not after just what's happened. I'm just like, you know what? Not to give him any more name checks, but... I don't know about here, but I know that I have lost any faith I had. But I am excited that you are in this post for a year. I hope that the next Lord Mayor has as strong an agenda as you and takes on these things that you've done, like the Bridget Festival, and continues, and these things become just as strong a tradition as the Rose of Trilling. <laughs> long may it last. The Lord Mayor of Dublin, Alison Gilliland, everybody! on social media. Kima Bob, everybody. And can we have an enormous, um, enormous uh, round of applause for our incredible musical guest, Tolu McKay. For all of the incredible staff at Vicar Street, Mick and the gang. They're really wonderful. We absolutely adore them. I want to come back here. I always say if I get a Netflix special or comedy special, I'm going to come and record it here at Vicar Street because there's nowhere I love better in the world. It's been so sad not to have Alison Spittle here tonight, but it's been so great. This has just been a wonderful show, and I, I'm just so grateful you've come back out after the pandemic. I mean, I know we're still going in it. I shouldn't say after. I'm just so grateful you've come back out at a time when we could come out, and I'm so thankful to you all for doing that. I'm grateful that we had... Uh, one and a half gay Michael of the original gay Michaels. I'm grateful that you came out in your t-shirts. I'm just grateful and overwhelmed and feel a bit emotional about it, to be honest, because there were times in the darkest hours of that that I thought, I'm never going to be here again. And here we are. So thank you so much. guests, Claude O'Finnan, and the Lord Mayor of Dublin, Alison Gilliland, with music from Tolu, Mackay, and Lewis. The recording engineer was Andy Knightley, musicals by Mark Hodge, the producer was Tom Solinsky for the Spontaneity Shop, thanks to Gina DCO, Rachel Craftman, Ben Berry, and everyone at Vicar Street, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. Vicar Street, you never disappoint. I love you so much. We've been the Guilty Feminists. I've been Deborah Francis White. Good night! This one is me and Anya, baby. It's over for us. We're cancelled. It's uh, so Anya's still got her mic in case she needs it. She's ready. Anya, do you have an, an I'm a feminist spot? I have it here, just in case. Yeah. Do, do, do you have an I'm a feminist spot? Um... <laughs> I'm a feminist, but I meal prep for my husband. (laughs) (laughs) You say you meal prep for Michael? Oh, you meal prep for your husband. He's not Michael. Oh, he might be. 
Veronica. Oh, for your husband. I don't know. I'm obsessed uh, with Michaels now. Where'd that come yeah, from? Yeah, yeah. You were so, backstage when the Michael action was happening. But that's, uh, that's nice, you know. Oh, is, is your husband this man here? No, that's oh. Very quick. No. Oh. Absolutely not. So who's this guy? This, this is Gay Adam. Hi, Gay Adam. Gay Adam, this you didn't have to clear yourself during... The shy. During the roll call. I understand. Oh, I see. You felt like you didn't want to send it yourselves. That you shouldn't have said it in the front, front row then. That's just inevitably going to happen. This is Gay Adam. The Guilty Feminist is provided exclusively from Acast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.